you can go ahead and turn to Luke if you would like. Um, the Pew Bible will be on page 856. You may have been looking at that when we were going through Psalm 33 earlier. If you would like a Bible, this is a very good Bible to have. We really uh, believe in the translation that ESV offers. And so all, all Bibles are, are great and, and we love anyone reading the word. We want you to read the word, whether it's KJV, NIV, ESV, just soak it up like a sponge, you'll be blessed. But uh, take that Bible and open to page 856. We're gonna look at Luke chapter one, beginning in verse 45 this morning, as we kind of engage part two of our series, Songs of the Nativity. And Clint did a great job opening the gates last week as we were looking at what it means to be humble and humble in Christ and humbled by what God has done for us. And now we live that humble life out for the world to see so that they too are pointed to the Savior. Uh, it's, it's such a great time for us to look at this as we are in the Christmas season. And so before we pray and before we read our scripture, I just want to give a quick shout out to all of you who are Valdosta State Blazer fans. Congratulations on your team advancing to the national championship. That is big time. That is good stuff. And so I'm proud of our hometown heroes, the Valdosta State University Blazers. And we'll be rooting for y'all next week as they travel to uh, McKinney, Texas, I believe, where they're going to compete for the national championship. Let's take a moment right now and pray. Pray for God to bless our time together as we study his word. And then we'll read beginning in Luke chapter one, verse 45. Lord, thank you. Thank you so much for your goodness. God, we know that every good and perfect gift comes from you. And Lord, as we take time out of our yearly schedules and really focus hard in this season to reflect on the greatest gift we could ever know, which is you sending your son Christ to be like us and to be among us, to suffer and die for us. Lord, we just say thank you. Lord, I pray that we would treasure the sacrifice that you have made that we would treasure that in our hearts and we would reciprocate that love to you. God, I pray now as we read these words that you pin down through your servant, Luke. God, that it would impact us in the most meaningful way. Lord, that it would be more than words on a page, but it would be life to our souls. Lord, we thank you that we have your word and that it instructs us, it convicts us, God, it tells us about you and your love for us. Father, thank you. In the name of Christ, we pray. Amen. Let us begin now reading in Luke chapter 1, verse 45. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. And Mary said, my soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God, my savior, for he has looked upon my humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. Out of the gate, I wanna go ahead and give you the main point that I've taken away from these short verses. And that is that the greatest blessing any person can experience and receive is the faith to believe the gospel. We believe that the gospel is the message of Christ as the Messiah. And this faith leads to a changed heart, a changed life, and a changed destiny. Mary is blessed. Blessed or, or blessed, you choose your own pronunciation. 
I think blessed is right here as I was talking with some of the pastors on staff this week about how we take this Greek term and, and when do we know when to say blessed or when do we know when to say blessed. That, that's a decent conversation to have. But more important, what matters more than how we say the word is what we believe about the word, how we understand its meaning. And that's what we're going to look at this morning. Last month, uh, my wife got a great message sent to her from some of our old friends that we knew in Texas, and they now live in Tennessee. And they reached out to Claire and said, hey, we are going to be traveling through down I-75, and we're headed to the world's happiest place, Disney World, and we would love to hang out with y'all. And so as everything worked out, we got to see uh, this family, and and they came, and uh, we got to catch up on life. And I think we have a picture We, as a family of five, hosted a family of five, and it was beautiful chaos in our house. Um, Six kids taking up space here in uh, Hayhira, Georgia, and there we are eating a nice, healthy, organic breakfast at Daylight Donuts, uh, sending them off on their way. Uh, Luke and Kristen, they were some good friends of ours, like I said, in Texas, and so we were so blessed, blessed to have them come and stay with us and and meet their three girls. The oldest girl is named Makaria, Makaria. And so as they were unpacking and getting settled in, they were introducing the girls to us, and our kids were meeting their kids, and the girls were already playing dress up and princess and kitchen, and Liam had none of that. He just watched reruns of football on TV. Uh, a lot of wisdom there from a six-year-old boy. Um, but Luke, the dad, said, uh, do you know where our oldest, oldest daughter's name comes from? And wouldn't, out of the clear blue sky, I don't know where this came from, I said, Makaria, isn't that the Greek word for blessed? And he was shocked, and I was even more shocked. I couldn't remember uh, any, any other Greek word to save my life, but somehow that one came fresh to mind. And so I recalled that story, and I tucked it away, and I said, I'm going to use that illustration when Claire's here just so she can remember that every once in a while I am, in fact, right. She is one blessed wife. You're probably saying blessed her heart right now. I scripted all of that. I hoped you guys would get a chuckle out of it. Makarios is the term in view. Makaria was named for the Greek Makarios. So Luke and Kristen are dear friends of ours, and we had a good time. And I tell that story as a segue into trying to figure out what it means. Because here in our narrative, we have Elizabeth. Elizabeth has just become with child in her advanced years, and she has tucked herself away going to a safe spot where she can nurture what is taking place in her womb and make sure that she is safe. And Mary has received this message from the angel Gabriel and she has believed it. And now she travels to visit her relative, Elizabeth. And as soon as she walks in, Elizabeth gives her the message. Blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. Verse 45. She is blessed. Mary is richly blessed. And we need to understand that. We need to grab onto that. We need to clutch it in the depths of our soul and never let it go. But what we have to do is separate ourselves from our cultural understanding of blessing. You see, in the society and we live, even in in the church that, that we worship in, in this body of believers, 
we can misdiagnose that word bless. Um, this may have never happened in the history of the Protestant church, but I'm going to show you a slide of DJ Khaled. I was unfamiliar with DJ Khaled, but then I heard Pastor Charlie bumping some rhymes in the parking lot, and I said, who is that? And uh, DJ Khaled, no, I'm kidding, it was not Pastor Charlie, but I did a quick Google search, and DJ Khaled popped up, and some of my students told me how to pronounce his name. They said it rhymes with the word salad. Just always remember salad Khaled. So DJ Khaled has a song entitled, I'm So Blessed. And so if we were to take the cultural understanding of blessing, then we might buy into the lyrics of this song and the ideology that is wrapped about in this message. However, he says, and these are some of the only lyrics that I could give you in this setting this morning. I talk about girls and money too much. I admit way too much girls, too much money. Those two things that don't exist and on and on and on vulgar language, profane language, yet he says that he has the Lord on his shoulders and nothing can stop him. It makes me question whether or not he truly understands the terminology when he says, I'm so blessed. Clearly his perception of that term does not fit the Bible's teaching of what it means to be blessed. You may be surprised to learn that Mary, the mother of our Savior, did not have multiple vehicles parked in her driveway. She did not have a single Gucci handbag. Mary did not have a luxurious home. She did not have multiple sexual partners. She did not have much in the way of financial security. Yet, the creator of the universe, the maker of heaven and earth, the initiator and sustainer of life calls Mary Makarios. She is blessed. She was not called blessed because of anything that she could point out to others and say, don't you see this? Don't you see this tangible thing that I'm holding in my hands? Don't you see this dwelling that I live in? Don't you see this lifestyle that I embrace? No, she was called Makarios. She was called blessed because she believed. Belief is a blessing. Mary is blessed because she believed. Mary believed God when he promised that she would conceive and carry the Christ. The blessing is the belief in the promise. The blessing is the belief in God's word. The blessing is the belief in God himself. Our question this morning, are we blessed? Are you blessed with belief? Zechariah was blessed. Zechariah is another character mentioned earlier in this chapter. He was appointed as a priest by God and he fulfilled his duties magnificently. Zechariah was a good man. From all appearances, he seemed upright and moral, faithful to the Lord. Zechariah served faithfully in his role as priest to the people. He was a model priest. In fact, we're going to see in Luke chapter 1, verses 5 through 6, what God's word said about him. In the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah in the division of Abijah. I'm not sure how to pronounce that word. Zechariah had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. They were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commands and statutes of the Lord. Wouldn't it be amazing? to have this reputation for yourself, 
to be a man who walked blamelessly with the Lord, to be a woman who walked blamelessly with the Lord. Now, mind you, we have to understand that this doesn't mean he is fully innocent. This doesn't mean he is sin-free. This means that he is striving to walk with the Spirit day in and day out. This means he knows how to deal with sin, He knows how to admit, confess, repent of his sin and walk in faith with the Lord. In fact, when Gabriel finds him, he is repenting. He's repenting himself and he is also repenting on behalf of the people, on behalf of the people praying that God would find favor and grace over all of Israel. Still, we know from tradition, we know from the Christmas story, we know from reading God's word, that there was a longing in Zechariah's heart. There was a longing in the heart of his wife, Elizabeth. They wanted, they longed for a child that they could love, that they could nurse, that they could raise in a God-honoring way, that they could point to Yahweh God and have that child serve God forever. This is a good desire to have. And they prayed to that end. The angel Gabriel visits Zechariah as he is there pleading and praying on behalf of the people and gives him great news. Gabriel tells him that God has heard the prayers of his heart. And I think I just want to sidestep right here and just say, sometimes it feels as though our prayers aren't passing the roof. They're not getting through the ceiling. They're not passing through the ozone layer. They're not reaching the heavens. They're not reaching the ears of God, the father, but friend, we have a mediator in Christ Jesus. And so we can pray with faith When Christ tells us in Matthew chapter six to go into our room privately and hit our knees and and pray a prayer, knowing by faith that God will hear that prayer, that God will reward that, we can count on that promise. Just as we see here, Zechariah's prayer was answered. Now this doesn't mean that God always answers prayers in the fashion which we wish. However, it does mean that God hears, God is faithful and God will answer our prayer. Back here in the story, God blesses Zechariah and Elizabeth. What a miracle, what a miracle that all those Zechariah said, I'm old and my wife, she's up there in age. God says, I'm gonna work a miracle for you like I've done in centuries past and you will be blessed with a son. He will be called John and he will be a forerunner of the Messiah of the world. I think we need to pause here, especially us as men. If you are in a relationship or maybe one day want to be in a relationship, we need to pay close attention to Zechariah's words in Luke chapter one, verse 18, because Zechariah points something out about himself and about his wife. And just for a moment, humor me, because men, the way that we say things goes a long way, especially in dealing with our wives. What does he say? Zechariah said to the angel, How shall I know this? How shall I know that your promise is gonna come to pass? For I'm an old man and my wife is advanced in years. If that's not a diplomatic or politically correct way of saying my wife is old, then I don't know what is. He says, I'm old and my wife is, she's advanced in years too. Whether or not you find that funny, what's more important is you see the motive behind the statement. Yes, he points out the obvious, but he's also pointing out the condition of his heart. You see, his heart is filled with doubt. 
His heart couldn't believe. Maybe in his mind, he wanted to believe the angel. Maybe in, in, in his mind, he, he wanted to embrace this promise from God. I'm sure he wanted to, to grab on tightly, but he had been praying for years. He had been desperate to the Lord for seasons and seasons of his life. And now, God, now that we've, we've passed our prime childmaking and childbearing years, now you bring this promise into our life? I'm just not sure I can believe you. And so too, we see ourselves in this. Zechariah was a seasoned Jewish priest trained in the Holy Scriptures, a holy man gone before God in the tabernacle on behalf of the people standing before the angel of God, yet he found doubt in the promise of God. And we can't miss that. We can't just gloss over it or pass it by. We need to really give attention here to the fact that Zechariah doubted the Lord. Whether or not he was acknowledging his own inability, whether or not he was doubting the plausibility of the promise, or whether he was just caught up in the moment of disbelief, we don't know. But we do know Zechariah did not believe. Luke chapter 1, verses 19 through through 20 highlight this. The angel answered him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God and I was sent to speak to you and bring you this good news. And behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time. Now I wanna level with you guys. In studying this passage, this verse required me many hours many hours of prayer and study. Because when I look at Mary, when I see her interaction with Gabriel, Mary was by herself and she received a great promise from Gabriel that she would uh, conceive and she would carry the Christ and that he would be the savior of the world. Her first response there, if, if you're looking in your Bible, you, you can see it in verse 34. And I'm, I'm gonna give you a picture here in a minute to see that. Her first response is how? And that's exactly the same thing that Zechariah leads with in his response to Gabriel. But what I want y'all to know is Mary is counted as blessed for her belief and Zechariah on the other hand is rebuked. They both asked how. And so we have to plunge the depths of the scripture. We have to look harder because there, there's more here than meets the eye. And so I wanna show you kind of the process that I went through in, in coming to a conclusion in rationalizing this. We have a chart here. And so this is just a, a seminarian's way of just nerding out on the scriptures. We have a chart here. We got Luke 1.18 and Luke 1.34, and we're just gonna break it down. Uh, the angel present, both Gabriel, the speaker, Zechariah, Mary, the location, Jerusalem, Nazareth. And then I kind of give you three trustworthy passages. You've got the ESV, the NASB, and the net. What I want you to see, as I've already pointed out, both people ask how. So why? Why is one rewarded and the other rebuked? It doesn't seem to make sense. And the reason this, this comparison matters so much is because I wanna be identified as Mary was. Don't you? Don't you, Christian? Don't you, believer? Don't you, faithful servant? Don't you want to be identified as Mary was rather than Zechariah? I think we do. And so let's look harder. And, and I want to create a new chart for you. And instead of comparing the questions that they asked, I want to understand the one asking the question. 
Okay, we're not going to look at the question itself, but the one asking the question. So here's another chart for you. We have Zechariah and Mary in a comparison and contrast chart. Uh, they're both of Jewish heritage. One is male, one is female. One is old, one is young. One is a priest, one is a peasant, one is married, one is betrothed. One is highly trained and one is unskilled. And it's these details, it is this understanding that gives us a proper grasp on Luke chapter 1 verse 48. Zechariah had every advantage when it comes to accepting the promise of God and believing with faith. He had all the tools in his toolbox ready to take this promise and put it to work in his heart. He had every advantage. There, there was no lacking for Zechariah. He was a seasoned priest, advanced in his years and equipped with the Pentateuch. He knew God's word. He knew the Old Testament. He could read it backwards and forwards, upside down. He knew God's word. And in that, he knew the promises that God had made in the past and the way that those promises had been fulfilled. He knew that Sarah was barren, yet she conceived. He knew that Rachel was barren, yet she conceived. He knew that Hannah was barren, yet she conceived. He knew that others in the Bible were barren, yet God delivered a miraculous baby in God's way and in God's time still. With all this knowledge, Zechariah had his doubts. Zechariah just couldn't accept what God had said. One commentator says, there are many instances in the Old Testament of those that had children when they were old. Yet he, and he here is Zechariah, yet he cannot believe that he shall have this child of promise. Therefore, he must have a sign given him or he will not believe. Though he had this notice given him in the temple, though it was given him when he was praying and burning incense and though a firm belief that God has almighty power and with him nothing is impossible was enough to silence all objections. Yet considering his own body and his wife's too much, unlike a son of Abraham, he staggered at the promise. Folks, in what ways do we stagger at the promise? In what ways do we accelerate on the blessing of God's word only to press the brakes of self-doubt? In what ways do we run headstrong into a life of faithfulness only to realize our own insufficiencies, our own weaknesses, our own frailties and say, God, this is too much for me. I cannot go on any longer. All Zechariah can make himself know about the situation is that he was without chance and that so far Elizabeth had not conceived and that they were not going to have a child. Zechariah, despite his God-centered background, doubted God. Many of us in this room have God-centered backgrounds. Many of us in this room were brought up in a Christ-preaching, Christ-teaching, Christ-exalting church. Many of us in this room have been surrounded by men and women who point us to the cross of Christ. Many of us in this room have Bibles on our bookshelf, Bibles in our offices, Bibles in the back dash of our car, Bibles on our phone. Many of us in this room know that we are called to pray privately with God on a regular basis. Many of us in this room know that we need to make ourselves students of the word of God. Many of us in this room know that we need the accountability of brothers and, and sisters to help us run the race with perseverance, yet we still doubt God because we are like Zechariah. Doubt, along with fear, along with pride, really is the enemy of faith. Doubt crushes our hope. It steals our joy. It robs us of any peace that we have with God. And there is reason for us to pause at this point this morning 
and abandon our Greek study and give ourselves a life evaluation. We have every reason when we step back, when we see the big picture, when we see the big person of God, we have every reason to trust in him. We have every reason to trust in him as provider, as healer, as nurturer. We have every reason to trust in him for a hope and a future. We have every reason to lay our doubts and our worries aside and understand believing that God has it in the palm of his hand. We have every reason to scale back and realize that God has kept this universe spinning for millennia. And if he can handle that, how can he not handle our lives? God can handle it. We must repent of the sin, the sin of discrediting God's competence, and the sin of discrediting God's compassion. I think often when we reflect on God's promise, instead of looking at Christ, we see ourselves. We say, God, that promise might be good for someone else. Someone more worthy, someone more noble, someone more moral, someone more active in the church, someone with a better Bible study plan. But God, that promise can't really be for me because you know all things. You know my past, you know my scars, you know my shames, you know my secrets. God, you, you know my innermost thoughts and how embarrassed I am of those things and how unfit they are for any person of God. You know the things that I've done against people. God, you know the words I've spoken against people. You know the lies I've told about people. God, you know that the, even on my best day, I'm still a wretched sinner. So that promise can't be for me. And we have a misunderstanding of God's desire to bless us. We know that God is just, we know that God is kind, and we are content to accept the justification of our sins. In other words, we are content to say, God, I've been saved. Now, I I guess I'm gonna take care of the rest of this myself. Folks, listen, I get it. None of us deserve that salvation. None of us deserve that justification. When we see Christ on the cross, that is the greatest illustration of an unfair life that we can ever, ever withhold with our eyes. It is not fair that we are forgiven, but we are. And what's more is God doesn't just bless us to eternal life in heaven. God blesses us to eternal life in the here and now. And this is what makes belief so great. When we believe fully in the gospel, It transforms how we think, speak, and act in the here and now. It transforms how we understand God's promises for our life today. To be sure, God is more than fair. God is full of grace. And so when we take inventory of how our minds rush to evil thinking, when we acknowledge that our mouths utter uncontrolled words, when we admit that our actions are stained with selfish ambition, we can understand why we would be slow to accept the promise of God, but Christ, but Christ on the cross had on his shoulders heaped the sins of the world, my sins and your sins, my frailties, your frailties, my weaknesses and yours. All of this became the burden of Christ and he became the sacrifice that we needed so that we can embrace the promises of God. We are recipients of that great blessing by grace through faith. Not just the blessings to come, but the blessing now, the blessing of belief. Will you believe the promise that God crucified his son out of love for you, that you are loved by God? 
May we learn from the doubt of Zechariah and may we press into the example offered to us by Mary. For she is the one who is credited with belief. And if you're anything like me at the end of all days or at the end of my own days, whichever comes first, I want to be known by God as a man who believed in him. One pastor has said, true authentic faith is not just believing in God, but believing God. There is a difference. We must be the ones who are ready to take God at his word. Mary, a young peasant girl was engaged to be married, yet she had never known her fiance. She believed God when she was told that she would conceive and be mother to the savior of the world. Let's reflect on Matthew Henry's commentary again. He says, it is a just inquiry which she makes. How shall this be? She knew that the Messiah must be born of a virgin. And if she must be his mother, she desires to know how. This was not the language of her distrust, but a desire to be further instructed. You may be scratching your head. You may be wondering, and you may be asking yourself, aren't we just splitting hairs here? I mean, is that really a solid enough justification for the two differences between Zechariah and Mary? Let me complete the argument with this. God knows the heart. God sees past our actions. He hears past the words from our lips. God knows the depths of our soul. Why is one rebuked and the other rewarded? Didn't they both, both ask how? Again, I say, God knows the heart. I can be very good at fooling people. I'm miserable at fooling God. Folks, it's not uncommon for individuals to enter a church building with doubt staining their soul. Church building is a good place for that. Because in that church, if it is a good church, if it is the right church, you will hear the message of Christ preached passionately you will hear what was accomplished on your behalf by Christ. You will hear that by grace through faith, you can believe, receive that blessing that only Christ could offer you. And in that, preaching the gospel to yourself, hearing the gospel preached to you time and time again, week after week after week, you will crowd out that doubt that litters your heart and your heart will be made to believe because that is the power of God. That is the power of the message. Romans 10 makes that clear. The gospel has the power to overcome our greatest doubt. What God sees in Mary is not a question of distrust or yeah, right. He sees bewilderment, amazement, and astonishment in the heart of his servant. It's the same way when we sing today, amazing grace, how can it be that you, my king, would die for me? Mary believed and was counted blessed by God. Her belief is the substance of her blessing. Do you believe the promised word of God? Many of us say that we do, and I'm convinced that is a genuine answer. And face to face with many hardships and many trials, that answer is challenged. Do you believe God when you're faced with the temptation to act on lustful fantasies? That his reward is greater than any temporary, fleeting, physical pleasure? Do you believe God when faced with the desire for uh, more stuff? We love Christmas. 
What an incredible time to reflect on all that God has given us. One of the greatest challenges we face in this season is looking to the gifts of the giver more than the giver himself. Do you believe God when faced with the temptation of selfish hope for more power or coveting for what other people have, complaining when you don't have it? Do you believe God when you've prayed for a soulmate, a companion to love you and to serve you and for you to love and for you to serve, but have doubts that God will provide? Do you believe God when he says drawing closer to him, drawing close to him is better, more fulfilling, more life-giving than drawing close to any person? Do you believe God when experiencing discomfort, pain, or physical suffering? Or do you wanna take the advice that was given by Job's wife to curse God and die? Being pressured to think that suffering is not worth embracing holding tightly to the promises of God? Do you believe God when you watch as your children go through hardships, like rejection from their friends, isolation, being cast out, maybe unfair treatment from their teachers or their coaches, or maybe being mocked by their faith, or maybe watching a child experience devastating sickness or pain? Do you wonder if the hurt that you feel inside for your child should be taken away if God is really a loving God? We have these doubts, very serious, life-altering situations. Then we remember the gospel. We fight against the temptation to doubt God. We remember that just as Christ came as a baby to Mary in less than humble circumstances, so too can you endure humble circumstances. You recall that Jesus, God's own son, lived a sinless life and was punished so you can take unfair treatment. Reality hits you that Jesus knew no wife and his greatest friends betrayed him in his hour of need. Jesus had no home, he had no pillow for his head. He spent many nights cold and hungry. And you finally remind yourself of the truth that God the Father, the most loving being in the universe, sent Christ away from his true home and sent him to this earth to be rejected by those he came to save, that he might suffer by their hand yet for their hope. And remember that no matter what we go through, we can identify with our Savior. He has gone before us and he is there for us now. He is the great I am. And in him, we have the great hope. Just as he miraculously came into this world, he miraculously overcame this world. His resurrection over death and hell gives us hope. Do you believe? His resurrection now is promised. His resurrection is promised to everyone who would believe. You'll see a typo in this next slide, but I want you to grab onto it nonetheless. Friend, today I want you to know deep in your soul that belief is blessing to have the truth of God fixed firmly in your being is a priceless, powerful blessing. It is the belief that leads to a life of worship. A God-honoring life is found in the life of the one who believes. I really wanted more time to focus here, taking makarios and another Greek term, eulogeo, 
and putting them side by side so that we can kind of see some distinctions. Earlier in Luke chapter one, Mary is called blessed, but there's a different view. That term is eulageo, not makarios. And eulageo takes on a different form of blessing. You see, eulageo is you are receiving blessings from the hand of God, which are good gifts, but they're not the greatest gift. They're good things to be sure, and they are rightly to be cherished, but they're not the greatest of things to be cherished. Maybe you would say it's a home to live in, medicine to take when you're sick, food to eat when you're hungry, clothes to wear, a car to drive, friends around you. Those are great blessings, and we don't want to take anything away from that. But what happens when the eulageo goes away? Are you still found as blessed? Do you still have faith? You see, what God wants is not for us to worship him because of what he can give us. God wants us to worship him because of who he is. He wants us to realize that even if we don't have clothes on our back or food in our belly or a car to drive or a roof over our heads, that we can still trust in God the Father to provide us with the greatest blessing we could ever experience, which is restoration, redemption, and resurrection from this old life into a new life with him eternally up in heaven. That is the greatest blessing. And when we grab onto that, when we believe it, we will accept the eulageo blessings, but we cannot live without the makarios blessings. And that, Christian, is what we all need. We need to see God. God as far surpassing anything we will ever experience on this earth, whether good or bad, God is the great reward. The soul believing in God is the soul magnifying God. And we magnify God when we see him for who he is. Listen to what Luke describes about Mary in verses 46 through 48. Mary said, my soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God, my savior, for he has looked upon my humble estate for he, I'm sorry, for behold, now from all generations, they will call me blessed. You see, Mary re- worshiped God because of the Makarios blessing. It wasn't because of the, the things that she had or did not have that this life can offer. Mary worshiped God because she had faith in God for who he was. This is the place that you and I must arrive at. We need to strive to worship God for who he is. When we look at the season of Christmas and we see that God sent his son into this world as a baby in a manger, we say, God, thank you. But we must remember that it doesn't end there. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Yes, he gave him on a cross. God watched as his son suffered and is believing in this that helps us fully worship, fully obey, fully live our lives, sold out completely to the cause of Christ. Jesus references this when he talks about the Beatitudes. He says that the soul believing in God is the soul magnifying God. Authentic faith leads us to see past the gifts of God like health, friendship, marriage, children, food, and material possessions so that we can see the giver himself. This is why Christ says, blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst. Blessed are the merciful. Blessed are the pure in heart. Blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are the uh, persecuted. Blessed are they because they believe. 
Listen, the world doesn't have that mindset. DJ Khaled doesn't think that we are blessed if we are persecuted. DJ Khaled doesn't think that we are blessed if we are meek. In fact, society at large doesn't think that we are blessed for being peacemakers. Society at large doesn't think that we are blessed for having pure hearts, but we don't care what society thinks. We care only what God thinks about us. And he calls us blessed because we believe past the persecution. We believe past uh, anything that this world might say about us or anything we have or do not have. And we see God for who he is. It is this kind of faith that leads us to sing songs that say, when peace like a river attendeth my soul, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. You see in the highs and lows, we can worship God. So I want you to hear me loud and clear when I say, I cannot promise that if you turn your life over to the King of Kings, every difficulty will become easy. I cannot promise that. I won't promise you that Jesus will answer all of your prayers as you wish. I will not tell you that if you give your whole heart into the hands of God Almighty, your suffering will cease. What God's word proclaims, however, is that for the sinner who repents and by grace through faith turns to Christ as his savior, there is blessing unimaginable in store, which will cause the trials of this present life to be battled vehemently and beaten victoriously. Ultimately, it is this belief that leads to life eternal as we are miraculously and get this irreversibly joined to the holy of holies in the great by and by. God's people have the reward of being freed from the power of sin, being freed from the penalty of sin and being freed from the presence of sin. all the while being fully immersed in the love of God the Father. This is the true Father who gave his only begotten Son that whosoever would believe would not perish but have everlasting life. Do you believe? It's more than a manger scene. It's more than warm fuzzies that you get when you're sitting around the Christmas fire with family and friends. It's more than getting that most wanted present that you open up on Christmas morning. This is the savior of the world, humbling himself and giving himself fully on the cross that our sins might be forgiven, that we can have great hope, that we too will be resurrected with him forever. I'll leave you with this. The greatest blessing any person can experience and receive is the faith to believe the gospel message of Christ as the Messiah. This faith leads to a changed heart, a changed life and a changed destiny. Mary is called blessed by God because she believed the promise that she would temporarily carry the Christ. You are counted blessed by God when you believe Christ will forever carry you. Friends, you hold tightly to that promise. Do you believe and are you blessed? I hope you will give serious consideration to that question. Salvation is at hand for every sinner who would repent and press into the identity of Jesus Christ with all their faith. Listen, he died that we would believe and be saved. Let us believe together this morning. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, we thank you. We thank you for allowing us through the life, death, and resurrection of your precious Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ, to be joined with you eternally in heaven. God, we are most thankful that we can worship you in seasons that are good. Lord, we can still worship you in seasons that 
are less than desirable, God. We can worship you when we are on top of the mountain, God. We can worship you when we are in the valley, God. Help us to believe at all times. Lord, help us to live our lives full of faith, knowing that our lives are in your hands and that you have not called us to go any place you have not already been. Lord, help us to live passionately as Mary lived, making her life a sacrifice. Lord, living fully unto the Christ. God, help us to do so as well. Help us to live such passionate lives that people would only see Christ living through us. That their lives would be positively impacted by the testimony that we carry with us day in and day out. Lord, change our thoughts, change our words, change our actions. Lord, bring us into times of communion through prayer. Lord, help us to be bold to confess sin. Lord, help us to understand that, yes, we are saved. And Lord, you are working in our life now and we can believe your promises. All this we pray in the name of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.